Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a Sports E Podcast Network production. In this episode, I chat with Lisa Bontasumi, a mental health and sports performance specialist at the Oakland Roots Soccer Club and a private practice therapist to elite athletes in California and Nevada. Follow her on Twitter or connect on LinkedIn. And with that, here's a conversation with Lisa. It's interesting. A lot of the best conversations I have with people in my company, with clients, with people that we're thinking about working with, is just dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's helping them think through it. It's learning about them and asking them questions and giving them the insights. And you know, I've been down this path and I've done a lot of these things, but I'm still learning. And yes, it's almost like I had a conversation with this client and we're sitting there for an hour. And he even said, it was like, this is the best thing I think of working with you all. And it's, again, this isn't like, oh, about us. It's just because we can just have dialogue and have conversation. We're not the only ones doing that, but there's something in that to say, I just want to talk to those people. And I get it. There's other businesses and marketing companies out there. They're like, hey, let's figure this out. We're going to sell this many widgets and here's how we're going to do it. And that's fine. I'm not putting that down, but the dialogue, the conversation, that's why I just love these just open podcast conversations to talk to someone like you, Lisa. And so I appreciate you spending some time to share this because it's such a mindset. Mental health is such an important topic. It's always been, but now it's at least being talked about a lot more. Exactly. The culture shift is happening with athletes like Michael Phelps, with his movie, Weight of Gold, with Simone Biles, with Naomi Osaka. It's becoming just more common to be able to talk about that mental health is just as important as physical health. But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what mental health really is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's becoming normal. It's being debated, right? Because Simone Biles is a perfect example. I mean, when, as we're talking about this and these types of conversations can be listened to years from now, but we can always look back at the 20, what is it? The 2020 Olympics or 2021 Olympics, right? And right. You're watching it. And you had heard before that Simone Biles is whatever, right? Has dropped out of the competition, has opted out, is injured, is whatever. And so it's like, oh, wow. Like this isn't just None of the Olympics are any just any gymnast, right? They're all incredible. And anybody in the Olympics is like at a just this extreme high level of athleticism. Yes. That's like Kevin Durant not playing in the NBA finals, like because of his mental health or because of something that happened. And people had thoughts and right. And you get on Twitter and it's like you're gonna have two sides, two polar opposite sides with it, but it yeah. at least brought it to the attention. I think that's super important. And that wasn't the beginning, right? We've seen, like you've already mentioned some names before, Michael Phelps is an incredible voice 
in that field because you're like, well, this guy's just winning gold medal after gold medal. What's wrong with him? And it's like, no, it's a lot. We had Colin Jones, who was on the podcast, who was on the relay team with him when he won that record-breaking gold medal. And Uh he talked about the mental health and the pressures that you're under. And he's a young black man and swimming. Right. Anyway, it's just so much to think about. And there's no like answer to it. It's a lot of time conversation and understanding. But like when that happened and you got word that Simone Biles was not going to be participating in the rest of the event, like what went through your mind? I was wondering what was really going on. Like, I wondered what it was that was going on. There were some hints that it was her health, but it wasn't like talked about if it was physical or mental. And then it came out later. And then learning more about gymnastics on its own is that you have to be aligned physically and mentally doing some of those acrobatic flips in the air and everything that if not, you could land on your head and really injure yourself. Right. So that might be the difference between like the, that gymnastics and basketball. Um, when you talked about Kevin Durant, like there's, you could really, really, really be injured in gymnastics and the way that they perform. And then I was like, just wondering, I was like, what is going to be said here? What is the reality? And then as things kept coming out, I was like, good for her. Even the goat needs to take care of herself and needs to speak out and is a role model in that way to a lot of people. Later, we find out that her aunt had passed away during that same week of competition. Mm -hmm. And so there was a shocking stressor and Mm -hmm. a grief response already happening. Yep. So... I was like, oh, it even makes even more sense. Not that it didn't before for me, but it, when there's a huge stressor like someone close to you passing away, that's going to impact your mental health and we need to pay attention to it. So the grief response is diverse. It's unique to every person. It's cyclical. So there's a lot going on for her. So I just was glad that everything came out. People could understand. Because if we go to Shikari Richardson, she also dealt with grief, right? And coped with it a certain way. Simone Biles cope with it a certain way. There's going to be judgment by the mainstream population about how each of them coped, but it's even getting out to these athletes that there are different ways to cope. There are healthy and not so healthy. So anyway, I have lots of thoughts about it. Yeah. Yeah. Understandably so. And we've seen it and you don't know perhaps why other players may have set out. Maybe there's reasons for that. And it's something that you mentioned that there was this shocking stressor. And then, you know, something else could be like trauma, right? Some traumatic. And and I've learned that trauma has no sense of time. They talk about people with PTSD were in the military and then 4th of July, like even just this past 4th of July. And I don't know what I randomly came across it. And people were like, just remember that these troops that are now living on stateside, right? And they're like, they're dealing with this every time the firework goes off. That's like bringing them back to perhaps they were in Baghdad or or who knows what's going on. And so there's no sense of time that the trauma has, it can come up when you least expect it. And I think even just understanding that that's taking place for whether it's for you or somebody else to be around that and to be aware of it, to say, this is like, how is one person supposed to judge someone else and how they deal with it? Right. Exactly. It's just like, but it's on TV, it's in your picture and it's in every piece of media that you pick up. There's an angle there because that's a good angle for a media company to get clicks. Right. So that's a lot. Yep. Well, trauma, if you speak about there's different kinds, like you're talking about military trauma, which is intense. There's childhood and interpersonal trauma. So we know Simone Biles with all of the things she went through with the sexual abuse that she had to endure. And then there is trauma with Shakari Richardson too in 
that when you think about bio mom, that means then probably you weren't raised by them and there was some circumstance that you were separated from your bio mom. It seems like there was a distant, like fraught relationship there. Mm -hmm. And so for her to have heard it from a stranger in an interview, there's all of the reasons why maybe they were separated, all the reasons why it was fraught come rushing into someone and like they have to handle that interview and mm-hmm. then handle everything after that. Handle, like, what does that mean? Cope. But it's a lot. There's all kinds of different kinds of trauma. And I think a lot of the athletes that I work with have had some kind of trauma. And it's a, a broad, we need to make it more of a broad conversation. It's not just physical, sexual abuse and then verbal abuse or neglect. It doesn't have to be that. It's broader. So us talking about that more, like with Shikari Richardson, I don't know, just the fact that she wasn't raised by her bio mom and there was a separation, that's trauma. Like if we look at Allison Felix, Allison Felix trauma was her pregnancy and delivery of her baby was touch and go. There was trauma there for the baby and for her. And so we need to be more broader about that and understand the impact. Yeah. You work with a USL soccer team, the Oakland Roots, and you talk to professional athletes that are very high-level performers, these conversations, they're obviously seeing this just like you and I would see it. What's their reaction when they see that? Like people were like, well, she's getting a free pass and this is unfair or whatever that is. Like, and I'm not saying like maybe the Oakland Roots or whatever players or people that you've talked to, are they not grateful that she's going through that? That's not it. But like that someone at that level is standing up for herself even perhaps or going through this and like, you're not alone. Like that's one thing that you just, you learn often as you go through life is sometimes you think I'm the only one going through this and you come to find out they're like, you're not alone. (laughs) There's a lot of people going through this stuff, but what's been your experience in having conversations with athletes as it relates to those examples that you've been talking about? Yeah, I think that the roots are a men's male pro soccer team. And so I feel there's a gender differentiation in how my athletes that I talk to understand that. Like, the men in general, not just on the roots, are more like, huh, they're still trying to understand it and trying to understand themselves. Like, have they gone through it? Because they're taught, right, at such an early age to just push through to not yeah. even have emotions. Yeah. Only the, the male athletes I talk to are like, I'm like, tell me three emotions you're feeling in this moment. They don't know. They do a descriptive adjective or get all cerebral on me. I'm like, no, but what are you feeling? What do you mean? Give me some examples. And so I have to give them examples. The women athletes that I work with are a little bit more, just in general, a little bit more understanding and have a sense of relief about Simone's stance. And I think it also is what culture and gender or country of origin you come from and what is the narrative in those countries and in that yeah. culture about mental health. So yeah. all of that is in play. Okay. It's hard because it's almost like when you watch the game or go to a game and participate in sports as a man, like you see the perseverance, like you have to push through it and you have to get through these things. And the media is always looking at like, well, they weren't mentally strong enough. And there's definitely an aspect of it. Like, could they overcome being down football game, two touchdowns, right? Soccer games, two nil early. In the, like there is something of like, okay, you're losing. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to sulk? Are you going to start yelling at each other? Like there's that aspect of it. But then there's the aspect of like, people are going through stuff. Like I remember last, I guess it was last year when Dak Prescott, when his brother had passed, right? Committed suicide. And the media, you have a Skip Bayless that comes out there and starts kind of saying like, he's just not a leader. He's too soft. He started sharing these feelings. And you have someone like a Dak Prescott out there, who's the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, 
who's sharing these emotions. And when you look at his players, I mean, I guess we'll never know what exactly happens in that locker room. But to me, it's like, no, they were behind him 100% and supportive of him and then what he was dealing with and what he had to go through. And then he gets an injury and he's got to deal with that at the same time. So it's just nuts what's put on them. But then at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, but then they're getting paid millions of dollars and doing all these. It's like, there's so many angles coming at them, but this is life, right? They're still dealing with it. This is a human. And it's like, as we've talked to more and more athletes, it's like, it's interesting when you really just remove yourself from it and you just realize you're just talking to another person, it's just another person. They have their thoughts and feelings and they like their things that they like and dislike. And it's fascinating because there's so many things pulling it. And I think so many people just hop in that mindset and the mentality. And it's super easy to get on Twitter or to agree with your friend to say, oh, that's soft and they don't know how to do it. And all these things, it's like, I don't know. I don't think that's true. I think this is the real stuff that's going on. Like you don't know, like watching a college football game, it's like, well, why did he throw that interception? And how come he didn't see it? And if maybe he just made a mistake. Maybe he's just having a bad day. Like, I don't know, but I cannot imagine the pressures that they're under, not only for their team and their stadium and their fans, but like everything else in life. Yep. I agree. I mean, what you're outlining is the difference between sport performance, which is what are you going to do if you're down 2-0 on a soccer game? And then mental health, a human's experience of their life, of the stressors, of trauma. I work in both. They're two different disciplines. There's two different ways you enter the field with different coursework, mentored hours, exams, things like that. But I come from the place like you're talking about the human, you can't separate really mental health from sport performance. There are different skills and a different purview that you can take. But if I say to one of my players on the roots, okay, how did you feel when you just got scored on? Oh, I felt like we're never going to come back. Like, oh, damn, like I messed up or damn him, he messed up. Right. I'm like, so then we bring in skills. But the skills that we identify individually for each athlete for them to be able to follow through with it is determined then on where they're at in their mental health. Like, do they have support and space to actually practice these skills, knowing that they're good for them? One skill I use with a lot of my guys is when you get scored upon and you're feeling down, it's called the release technique. And so we behaviorally figure out a release that's unique to them. And so what it means, it can be any behavioral gesture, but the meaning behind it is that I'm letting go of that, what just happened. I'm letting go of the fact that they just scored on us. I'm letting go on the fact that I just lost that 1v1. I'm letting it go. So a lot of guys either like they, one of my players puts his shirt over his head and that means like, okay, it happened. Now let's move forward. And then he makes sure he does that. And then he makes sure that he says something positive to the team. Like, let's go guys. We got this. Let's go. Regroup. Let's keep the energy high, you know, something positive. Another one of my guys pulls his left side of his short with his right hand. It's very specific. Just pulls it twice and then it's gone. It's out of the head and we move on. But this takes practice. We have to identify the release and then we have to practice it in training sessions as well to make it like that much more effective when we go into the game in a high performing situation. So there are specific techniques and tools for the sport performance side and there are for the mental health side. And I think they can definitely go in and out and they can transfer for sure. Like for mental health, I always like people to, and this is funny, it's good for sport performance to meditate on a regular basis, identify their gratitudes. There's so many like neuroscientific benefits to that physical benefits. And so it's the education around like how it's helpful. Yeah. So 
Well, those things are going to happen. I mean, that's the thing that we know watching the sporting event. There's going to be mistakes made at all levels of it. And it's interesting because it's like, well, why did that mistake happen? What did they screw up? And I think it's great that like there is these situations that you can help a player with to that is going to happen, right? Mistakes are going to happen. How are you going? Yeah. Yeah. And it's rather new, perhaps. Like I'm starting to see more and more people like yourself being a part of a sports organization. Like there's someone there, there's a specialist, there's a therapist, there's a sports mindset coach that's going to be there. They're on staff to work through these things. And then it's an individual thing. It might be training sessions as a team, but oftentimes probably the best work that you, I would imagine is the one-on-one, the conversation that you can have, right? Yes, yes. And they have to be open to that though. Right. And to understand what it is and what it isn't. Yeah. There's a dynamic that I think happens with a lot of teams that I've heard is, well, is this truly confidential? Are you actually going to keep this to yourself and not tell the coach? Then, then if I tell the coach, then it's going to impact my playing time or right. if I'm on the roster. So it's dispelling that like I'm hired by the roots, but my professional licensure determines this confidentiality, right. not the roots. So I often tell them like, love you guys, but I ain't going to like lose my license oh, for you. So know that I'm right. not talking to anybody. And this is what will be said. We're going to talk about themes so that we can offer more support. We're not going to say, oh, Jimmy J said he's feeling suicidal or whatever, or he's feeling down or had an argument with his girlfriend. And so he's not in a good place. No, that's between me and you. That's HIPAA compliance. That's confidentiality entirely. So it's like teaching these guys because a lot of them have never been in this kind of situation. And if they don't want to talk about mental health after I describe what it is and what it isn't, right? yo, then come to me for like, are you 100% solid with your mental game? If the answer is no, then you can talk to me. Then we can fix that or we can address it. Right. Like, it's just understanding what I do and what my role is. So... Well, you build that trust, right? It's like in anything. Like, there's a connection, maybe a little point. I'm not all the way there yet. But then you start to have that trust in it and understanding the the world. And and it's like, like we were talking about earlier with these athletes that have come out. Like, once it's a little bit more normalized, like it's becoming more normalized, that helps to say, okay well, she's doing it and he's doing it. It's like, because there's a stigma to say, well, if you're seeing somebody and if you're getting therapy help, that something's really wrong. And we've all had, I've felt that way. It's like, why yeah. would I do that? Like maybe a younger, okay, fine. And then you get like, no, no, I'm good. I got this. I don't have it. <laughs> and then you realize like, even when you are good, it's like, maybe that's even the best time to talk to someone because here's the thing. We know you go through life and like things are going to happen. Good, bad, and different, sudden. Someone calls you. I mean, your day's going great and you get a phone call. It's not even the worst news. It's just something, right? And then it's like trauma has no timeline or whatever, or something happens or you sprain your ankle and it's like, oh, that throws you off. Someone bumps you and you're sitting in traffic. It can just send you off the rails and really quickly and having someone to talk with. And it's an incredible asset to have at a sports organization, but it's important to see that this is being taken care of. And you're seeing these people like yourself show up at these organizations because there's just so much with it, right? There's just in the media gets it so involved, like I've touched on before, that makes it maybe even harder, right? That's a part of the stigma. Like, hey, we're at least they're talking about it. But you said this before, like they're confused. I don't know what to make of this. Because on one end, you're going to have teammates you know are going to be on the other side of it that don't agree. And then you're going to feel like, well, I can't say anything because if I say something, then I'm going to be seen as soft or weak or whatever. And there's a lot through it. And, and as far as like men are concerned, like I get it with the gymnast, like they have a risk of injury. Do you see it playing out more? Again, this is, I don't want to predict it because we don't know. It's like Tom Brady's not going to play in the Super Bowl because he's not mentally sick, right? That's the extreme. But does it take that type of situation to say, well, Paul George 
wasn't feeling right in a game and he missed all these three pointers and it turned out his mental health, something was going on. Does it take someone like a Paul George saying he's not going to play because he's just, it wouldn't be good for the team if he played? Like It's almost like it is, it's an injury, right? It's just, he couldn't play. Does it take right. someone like that at that level with those stakes to not play, to opt out, to have it be a man, to then even normalize it to that next level? So like the Oakland Roots players or some other players, I don't know. I'm just thinking through it. Like, does that normal, not that you want that to happen, but is that something, do you see something like that perhaps playing out or I don't know what I'm getting at, but just talking through it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So I totally see something like that happening. I mean, I just, the ink isn't totally dry, but it's going to happen. I'm going to be partnering with Cal State University Bakersfield and all their athletes And in our policies and procedures that me and my partner, my business partner have ironed out is that there is a return to play process for mental health, not just physical health. And that we are going to be collabing with the coaches and athletic trainers to make sure that the return to play integrates where they're at in their mental health so that they might have a mental health injury like a stressor or a trauma or something in their family is happening. Like I have an athlete now who's, she's taking care of one of her grandmothers. I have another athlete who's taking care of his grandfather has dementia. So it's like going through that in a family member and that these guys are on the younger side, they're going to have a grandparent pass. And how does that impact their mental health? So I think that We can't just say, I think the mainstream is like, oh, well, they were having a bad day or they were feeling some kind of way and now they get to say they're not going to play. When it comes to mental health, there's a continuum, right? Like we all have mental health, just like we all have physical health and our genetics impact our mental and physical health. Our genetics, our upbringing, our environment, how we're able to react and respond to adversity has everything to do with our upbringing, and then our ability to put skills in place that can help with that situation. So I think that every athlete should have the access to a professional like myself to help with that. If it starts to go into like a mental health crisis or challenge, that means the symptoms of your mental health are starting to get a little bit more severe and impacting your level of functioning. So being able to show up to yourself take care of yourself, your family, your job, your sport. If you're an athlete and you can't show up 100% because you feel like the symptoms of anxiety, depression, and eating disorder or substance abuse, to name a few, keep you from performing at the highest level, like in Paul George's case, you have to be able to articulate that. And you need some a professional to help you craft how you talk about it. Right. Because it's not just like, I'm feeling down today. Right. I don't want to play. It's like a cluster of different kinds of experiences that are impacting you to like not be able to show up and maybe not be like, yeah, a value yeah. to your team. Yeah. So. When you think about like when you're talking about the return to play, it's almost like the concussion protocol that you're... Yes. If the athlete were to get up and talk about, it's not his job to understand exactly how that works. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. Like my head hurts, right? Whatever that is. It's like, you can describe it maybe a little bit, but the doctor is usually the one talking or someone or a representative of the team is explaining like, this is the case. And people are going to make decisions based off of that, however they want to. But that's an interesting thing to say, like that Cal State Bakersfield is having that return to play. And I think that's important. And it's like, okay, now we're putting some like policies to this. This is professionals like yourself and many others saying, here's the process. Okay, well, we can all follow the process and we understand it. It's laid out in front of us. 
And that makes a lot of sense. And that's just going to become more and more organizations, colleges doing that. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the direction we're going. And that's why these conversations are so important. I think it's important why you're doing what you're doing and in a performance sport, right? So the moment, right, is so important. And you know, you're about the power of now is the book, The Power of Now and Uh focusing on the moment and how are they able to just in that moment, how are they able to do that? It's incredible. And it's amazing to watch. And you talk about meditating and you can kind of take this how you see what direction you want to go with this. But like, they get so focused in on like Tim Duncan, I heard talk about how he just slows the game down. Somehow the game went in slow motion for him. And you're like, if you ever played full court basketball and it's an intense game, you're like, things moving like 200 miles an hour. And so someone like that, he must have had some inner peace and all these and just understanding. And they call the big fundamental, but these, the foundation for him was just nothing got too high or too low. And the game just slowed down. And he just was probably so in the moment when he played that it almost became just easy for him. Do you talk a lot about like focusing on the moment? Because there's going to be things, right? As we've talked about, like there's just, who knows what could happen in a day? You didn't get a good night's sleep. Your dog threw up in the morning. Your kid wasn't feeling good. Your tree fell on your house. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? You're going to show up to the game. Like you can't just not show up every day. Like eventually you have to show up, right? You can't just not. Do you talk about like, okay, this is your happy place. Like you get to be on the basketball court. You get to be on the soccer pitch. Like this is enjoy this moment. How do you get into that? And how does it relate to meditation? Like I said before, like take that direction you want to, but that's some of the things that I'm just thinking about. Well, what you're talking about is called flow state. The flow state or getting into the zone. Like every athlete is unique in how they get there. When I work with my athletes, there's a variation of the flow state is like where everything falls away. You're fully calm and focused on the moment and it's easy. You don't have to think about things. Your body and your mind are aligned and you just flow the way you're supposed to in your position and everything is just going great. But it takes work to identify how to get there uniquely for each human who happens to be an athlete. So some of my athletes need to be like amped up or hyped up to get to that flow state because their baseline is kind of like, I'm a chill dude, I'm calm. Like I need to kind of like get amped up, but that can be very internal. It doesn't have to be like, you see him all excited and stuff and all out there. It doesn't have to be, it's an internal process. Some guys need to be calmed down because they're anxious or like thinking too much and like over here, the future, what the last play instead of being Mm. in the moment. identifying where each guy falls and what's going on inside, not their outer presentation per se, because that doesn't have to match. My godson's like that. He can be zoned in and focused, but he looks like the chillest dude out there. And like, come on, guy, are you like engaged? And like, (laughs) yeah, but don't misconstrue. Like, just because I'm not all out there physically for you to see, I have a lot going on inside that's helping me be who I need to be to play the way and perform the way I want. Yeah. Like LeBron James talks about, like he has a routine where he goes inward first. Everything's blocked out. Voices, the fans, the coach, he takes a few minutes before and just blocks it all out, turns inward and like basically says like, you got this, know what you're doing. You've been doing this. You've prepared for this moment all your life. You're good. You're good. You're good. And then he like opens up and then takes everything in and brings that with him. So then he's engaged with everything, but they're not distractions. They're not going to keep him from engaging in his flow state or doing what he needs to do. And so again, every athlete's different, but I help them identify what they need and what the ultimate place is to get into that flow state. So if we're in the moment on the court or on the track, wherever you are, 
we have to practice that in your life too. So that's where meditation comes in. I feel like it's the foundation of mental sport performance to be able to, because when you practice meditation, you're practicing being in the moment and coming back. There's always going to be something out there that's pulling you, but then you're bringing it back with your breath. So we do breath work. We talk about, I educate them on the, on the benefits of it. So I always want my athletes to practice meditation, even if it's just a few minutes once a week. Yeah. So then it helps them get there. You're training your mind to then get there when you actively want to get into that state. It's training your mind. Yeah. Really. Yeah. There's this grounding, right? That you even talk about, like you can ground yourself to like, you're safe, right? Things are okay. And what's interesting, my son plays soccer and my kids do all sorts of activities and you can watch them before a game and what's happening. And because there's something in there, like you watch like a LeBron again, he's extreme level, but it takes a few minutes. You have to take some time to do these things. It's a habit that he's developed that other players and athletes have developed. And that's the fascinating thing with watching athletes is like, how are they able to do this? Where do you find the time to sit there for even five minutes? Because a lot of times, like a kid will go to a game, let's talk about youth sports. And the first thing they do is they see their friends and they start talking. And then they're not doing anything until the coach shows up. Then the coach shows up, then they start getting it maybe into the routine. And that's more like maybe the team routine, the stretching routine. And that's good, right? That's all good. But it's like, maybe that individual player needed five minutes by himself. Maybe not on his phone. Maybe not watching Netflix or checking TikTok. Because that's what's going to ground him, her, set the state, like you said. And again, everybody's different. So I'm not saying that's for everybody, just like you just said. But that's interesting to say, like, those are the tools that we can use. And it doesn't just have to be in sports. It could be before you take a test in school or before you have a podcast interview. There's these different things because I just had one earlier today and I could tell the first five minutes, I had things happening before. And I was just like, I didn't have my same time that I had to get ready. I eventually was able to calm down and I got there. It just took me a few extra minutes mm-hmm. to then reground myself, settle, breathe, and then get back into it. And so I think it's like, that's why I love sports just relates to so many other things that we're doing in life. It's just totally. something fun to watch, right? And be Absolutely. a part of in particular. Yeah. I mean, it's human development. It's a way that we develop as humans and we practice leadership, sharing, knowing our roles, taking direction, being creative. You know, there's so many ways. I think what you're talking about are routines is super important. I mean, that's a mental skill that is trained on and it's created and trained on. So every athlete's different. We do pregame routines in competition, during competition and post, and then pre-training session routines during training session and then afterwards. So a lot of athletes do it already and they don't even realize it's like being intentional and naming it and being sure that you are doing it because that consistency, it calms the brain. The brain knows what to expect. The brain knows what's happening right now when you're doing that particular routine. And then it gets you even that more calm and focused to enter into your flow state when you compete or even when you train. We'd love to have our athletes, even just in a training session, enter their flow state because then they know what it feels. They know what it took to get there. Then they can repeat that when the game is happening, when they're actually in it. Yeah. And simple. It's nothing. I mean, like, we take LeBron again. He does his physical and mental pregame routines. So I talk about both with my guys and my gals about that and designating it. And then we got to train on it. So you got to practice. Yeah. Mental skills training. We train. You don't just say this and then it's going to happen. You got to put the work in just like you do with your physical skills. Yeah. And so knowing the science behind it and knowing that if you do this, there's neuroscience to like your brain is going to expect it and is going to react accordingly when you do it. 
So that's super important. I think imagery is another really, really impactful mental skill. And it's not visualization. So visualization only uses your vision and what you see. Imagery takes in all senses and it's more of a fully dimensional, encapsulating kind of experience. So imagery is like you use your imagination, imagery, imagination. So you imagine everything about, like if I'm going to take a penalty kick, I'm imagining everything from my walk up, what uniform I'm wearing, what I'm hearing, what I might be smelling what I'm tasting, you're bringing in everything and you be very descriptive. And so I have my athletes make like a imagery script and then we train on it. So we might co-design it together. Training on it might be writing it like several times a day leading up to a big competition. It might mean recording your own voice, reading the imagery script and then closing your eyes and listening to it on a regular basis. Depends on what we're preparing for. But science shows when you image it like that, The brain doesn't know if it's actually physically happening or not. So if you're injured, you can train on that. You can even make an imagery script on recovery. If you want to add to already the physical training you're doing, you bring in the imagery, it just makes it that much more full and impactful. If you can't train outside because it's winter and you're an outside sport, we train inside with our imagery scripts. So there's a lot to learn about it. Again, like sometimes... Some athletes are like, I don't need to know. Just tell me what to do. If I want to be like just 1% better, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Some guys and gals always like, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. Like depends on who yeah. they are. Too. Sure. Like what their interest lies. Right. So. And that's why going in those individual sessions is where you're going to get the most out of it. Cause you can yes. a group of 10, 20, 30 people. And it's like, yeah, it's, some people are not paying attention, kind of lost interest in it where you can get that one-on-one and see what really, cause they're all different. Like you said, some people aren't like, Oh, I've never really cared about what happened in the last play. I'm very good at moving ahead. I'm yes. worried about like the next play that's coming or right. I'm worried about actually the next week's game. My head's just gone or I'm worried about my vacation or who knows yes. what that is. It's such an individual thing that only they can understand with their therapist, perhaps, right? And that they're thinking through. How is this developed younger and younger? Like you're talking about young soccer players, you're talking about college. I mean, youth sports is where all this stuff starts, right? A lot of the habits are developed, whether they're going to the game. You always said it like, it's so easy to go to a a big sporting event and like, oh, the lights are on. This is the exciting. I want to do that. Well, we all know that all the work was done beforehand. Now that's just like the showcase. And of course, that's important too. But youth sports is like, you go to a little league softball field, a little league baseball field, and just, okay, it's like eight-year-old girl, she's going to stand up at the plate. And then you have a pitcher and the ball's going to come. There's coaches telling her what to do. And there's assistant coaches and there's parents and there's other people. And then there's kids running around. There's popcorn fly. Who knows what's going on? The weather, the wind's blowing. And then the mom's nervous and they look and she looks over at the mom or the dad and like, right. good luck to that kid trying to hit that ball. Like, because we all have like, you're talking about sensory and all these emotions. It's like, distractions like you wouldn't believe. And some kids are able to do it, right? Of course. And some kids are just naturally talented. They can stand up there. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm just going to hit the ball. But I would imagine they're so into it. Or the ball comes and it hits them in the shoulder one time. Like, well, that wasn't fun. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Well, how do we get it to the point? Because we can't turn all... I can't like hit the timeout, right? And the TV show and everything stops. And like, okay, it's just you and the pitcher and the ball, right? That's not going to happen. So these things are going to be a part of it. And, you know, you can't have trained therapists for every little league softball team, right? But there are things that we can do. I mean, I'm going to listen to this podcast and I'd be like, okay, well, I can take some steps. And like you said about the one athlete, just get a little bit better every day and keep working at it. But it's important that 
they all develop these habits, whether they go on to play softball for their career or not, right? Because these right. things are all going to relate to everything they do in life. But I do think it's important because we see so much of what's happening. They're all the great with youth sports and all the not so great in youth sports. But how yeah. early can we get to kids to help them out with this, right? And just, I mean, some of it's just making it known that like a Simone Biles is taking a break and all that stuff. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned softball because my daughter plays softball. She's 14. I don't know if you put that in there, but like I could talk about that for a long yeah, time. Sure. I mean, she was a martial artist. I mean, she started martial arts formally when she was six and was excelled in it. There was something about it she really liked. She self-selected martial arts. She self-selected softball. And there was a time when they were overlapping. I think it's like her heart couldn't love something so much more than two things. She could only focus on one. And so she went to softball. So she's a high-level softball player right now. Yeah. And she has struggled with perfectionism, negative beliefs, doubt, letting go of that mistake, quote-unquote. So we've been working with her. My husband's a therapist too, actually. So we've been working with her. Now she has her own person because I think it's separate. I want to be mom, even though this is my profession. Yeah. I want to be mom. But I think that like at the younger ages, part of mental health is having positive relationships that support you and who you are unconditionally yeah. and that you receive and give into them. I think that as a younger player, it's the systems and relationships around them, the parents, the coaches, um, the environment that will help a player be able to just have fun. Because at that age, it's about having fun. Yeah, It's about having fun. It's about seeing your friends. It's about having snack afterwards. It's about talking about it. It should be fun. If it's not at the youth sport level, something's wrong, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And so a lot of my high school elite athletes, their parents, I always ask them in the intake, did you ever play competitive sport or an elite level sport? And if it's yes or no, there's a line of questioning that's similar, but different. I find that a lot of the parents want to live vicariously through their kids because they didn't accomplish what they wanted to do. And now there's a chance to kind of relive it. And so there's a whole nother level yeah. of stuff going on there. And they unintentionally impose that on their kids, not being conscious about what's going on for them. So same with coaches. A lot of coaches were past athletes. So they want to like kind of like instill a certain way of being with the young people. But it's like, I say until the family or the athlete wants to take it to the next level and knows what that entails, yeah. it should all be about fun. Even now when she's competing at the highest level right now in her age group, like, I'm like, baby, how was practice? Did you have fun? That's always a question I ask. Yeah. And then I might say, well, what did you guys work on? Did you feel good about it? It's always mm. that because she, yeah. and she expects that for me. So she's, I'm training her mind to always be like, I want to have fun because I know my mom's going to ask me, did I have yeah. fun? I have fun. I want to be able to say yes. But she's a competitor too. She's a beast on that field. And she has her routines that she does. She's very slow in between each pitch. She'll come out, breathe, look at her bat, do a few swings, come back. She'll do that at each pitch and for her to slow herself down. So, because she's someone who's going to be like two yeah. in her head. So, we slow herself down, breath work. And it's the same thing every time. What she does in between each pitch is the same routine every time. Yeah. So, she's calming her central nervous system too. And her body and her mind know what to expect and know what's yeah. going to happen. And she's worked on it, right? And I love how you just talk about like how she's seen someone. That's it's very normal for someone her age to see someone, whether it was you and your husband or stuff. She's got her own person. I think that's just that alone is saying that she's working at it. She perfect yeah. at it. No, and it's something that you have to work through. And like you said, having fun, 
Because like if that kid gets like that example I was giving before, if that kid goes up to bat, they could lose it because it's not fun anymore. It's exactly. overly strenuous Too at that moment. Now you're creating trauma because they'll remember that's self-inflicted by somebody because who is this for at that point? And yeah. you put them in the situations that give them fun. It's like, you, know, you got to get outside of your comfort zone and all those types of things and try new things, of course, but to what extent, right? Right. And to remind them that this is a time for fun. It's a time to learn, like even the parents together, the coaches together, like it's human development right now at the yeah. level of the age they're at. It's about sharing. It's about following directions. It's about leadership. It's about physical exercise. There's so many benefits to physical exercise. Everybody needs to be on the same page about what the purpose is this is about and what it's yeah. for. Yeah. I've seen all sides. Like my son played little league baseball. And I remember, because I didn't understand it, like when like, I was going to be a coach and so we got to go. And next thing you know, we're evaluating players. I'm like, okay, and there's going to be a draft. I'm like, a draft? Like these kids are pretty young. So you go in the room and you're drafting. You know, I've never seen grown men like more upset about like what kids are going to be on the team. Like I didn't know any of these kids. Like I never, I know my son and that was it. And so anyway, it happens, it goes down and maybe like the next year they're playing and they go into this playoff and it's fun. And the kids are having a blast. They're singing on the sidelines and they're eating their snacks and it's a blast. And this team, they're playing really great. And they're hitting the ball and scoring runs. And they get to this game. For whatever reason in this game, they couldn't hit the ball like at all. Like, I don't know what happened. It's a machine pitch, right? So this is machine pitch age, I don't know, eight, nine years old, something like that. Yeah. And the machine's like, you know, the machine can get out of whack a little bit or the weather and who knows what, our kids are just having a bad day. That's baseball. Well, come to find out, they ended up losing this game and they were one of the better teams, just really good kids on the team, whatever. And I come to find out, I didn't know this at the time, but the coach on the other team who was controlling the machine, every time he was done and we would come up to bat, he would rig the machine up. Yes. Oh and I'm just like, my gosh. And I got told by multiple people that that happened. And, and I found out some stories later, which I won't share here because it's not necessarily useful to that story, but it does relate to it. But it's just like, they rigged the machine so an eight, nine-year-old boys couldn't hit a baseball. And these kids were upset. So you're dealing with this type of thing. And... Right. That's just the way it is. Like there's bad people. And that's when maybe that's the lesson. It's like, listen, no matter what you do and all the good things you happen, like there's gonna be people that lie, they cheat, they steal, they'll do whatever they have to do to get one over on you, they'll bully you. Like that's just the world we live in. The world doesn't care. And there's some people that don't care. And that's like you said, positive relationships, positive like respect on the field. Like you see it, like we're rivals, we're competitors, but I could still have concern. I could still have care. We could still appreciate respect. Game's over, and like, you know what? good game. You beat me. I beat whatever that is. But it, it's like, wow, that happened. Like that's real. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I think that can be symbolic of life too. There's going to be that. And then the question is, what is your response? Yeah. How are you going to respond to that within yourself? What meaning are you going to make to that? Like no one's perfect. People have different intentions. You're going to run into that at school, at work, with your friends, there's always going to be someone who doesn't feel right or doesn't treat you exactly right. And so what's your response? Yeah. You go then to the positive relationships that you have and share what's going on. Do you talk about it? Do you journal? Do you talk with your friends? Like talk to your therapist, whatever. Do you create something? Are you, do you have a creative way of like expressing yourself? It's the response. And that has to be talked about from an early age too. Like you're going to experience this stuff in life and the baseball field or the softball field is one place. Yeah. You know, absolutely. We had Tim Kite on the podcast and he's a business coach and he was Urban Meyer's coach and he's been around. He talks about E plus R equals O event plus response equals outcome. And uh-huh. we went Ohio State and, and, you know, instilled that in their 2014 when they won the national championship. But it was just more like 
I've become even more as I've gotten older is like, what's really happening behind the scenes? How did they get to this level? How did they do these things? What was the leadership like? Like, how did they identify that individual as this leader? And how did they put him in this the system to be able to shine and help the other people around him, right? And who were the people that supported that? Because it just doesn't happen overnight. Like this is a lot of work over many years. And it's like, that's the fascinating aspect of sports and watching this stuff play out. So that was interesting what Tim Kite had said, E plus R equals O. And because these events can be, you know, in sports, it's like trash talking. Well, some players trash talk because maybe it helps them out, right? Or they try to get a response. They're trying to get you off your game. Some players are like Michael Jordan. It's like, the whole concept was if you talk trash to him, it was like, oh, he wasn't motivated before somehow, but now he is. And now you just lost, right? And, so, <laughs> and everybody's got a different, just, he would make things up in his own mind to say, you said this about me. Okay. I didn't say anything, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's that. I mean, there, people can be very rattled in many things. Like you hear about quarterbacks, for example, like they want to get hit. They're really nervous until they take that first hit in the game. And as soon as they get hit, they're like, okay, I'm engaged. I'm locked in. I'm ready to go. And other ones like, they don't want to get hit. When they start getting hit too much, they get rattled. So it's like, like you were kind of going back to the beginning of like understanding what are those things. And I think of like talking about it, admitting it to saying like, this is how I feel when this happens. Okay. Cause then there's, you could work with them on that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And like, how does it feel when this happens and how do you want to feel? Because we don't succumb to our initial emotions. We can train our minds to shift that yeah. with the skills that we talk about and the perspective yeah. we can bring in. That's yeah. why I think gratitudes are huge too. It's like, if there's always something to be grateful for and appreciate no matter how hard it is. But yeah. it's like always responding with positivity, with a healthy, good way of being. And I think parents, other adults have everything to do with shaping that initially. But we can train our minds. We can. That's what this profession is all about, the sports performance side. Mental health is different. We don't talk about it like that, but I do both. So I like interchange. Yeah. But if my genetic disposition and personality is a little bit more sensitive and I go into a, a high-pressure situation, it might not be a high-pressure situation for the next person who's that's not their situation. But you can still train. That doesn't have to be your destiny now. You right. can train on that. If you know what your areas of challenge are in your areas of strength, we can develop them. That takes work too. Yeah. This dialogue is so important in so many ways. I could talk to you for hours. You're doing this a lot, right? You're appearing on events, on Clubhouse and other spaces like this just audio and video dialogue that you can have. It's felt like it's just, it's a way for someone to get to know who you are. Like I want to talk to her or if someone just listened to this and just took something from it of what you said, I'm sure that's like, that's why you do this. And I don't know, there's just something about these types of dialogues that just can go in all these different directions and be very dynamic. And I think it's important, right? For lack of a better word than that, it's just important. So I really appreciate it. And I guess that's maybe my last question. We can finish with that is, when did you start getting into just like, hey, I'm going to go and talk about this. I'm going to share it. I mean, social media is obviously big. It's a tool that's out there. But to like have conversations like this, when did it strike you to say... I could go have these dialogues. I can go have these conversations. I could post it out. I could use media as leverage for people to learn more about mental health and to learn more about you, right? When that start taking place for you to say, I want to do this and I will do it. Well, it's so interesting because I've been a therapist for over 20 years. In recent years, I made the shift to work with athletes and I was not on any kind of social media prior to that. So it's only been a few years that yeah. I've been on it. And between me and you, I have someone who handles all my social media stuff because I don't know how to do it. It takes too much time. I'd rather yeah. be talking to someone. So 
I think when I made that shift and it became personal, very personal, like because my daughter's struggling and then she helped me kind of reconnect with the prior competitive athlete and myself and that there was trauma there for me. Like I was ready to go to college to play soccer. I was injured and my parents didn't know how to physically or emotionally respond to me or take care of me in that. And I went to a dark place. It was tough. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where my value was. And so getting in touch with that inspired by my daughter and then seeing her, it's been my purpose since then to have these conversations, to be available to someone in a way that I never had, that I didn't have. If I can help someone not go through a dark place, but still learn and keep them safe mentally and physically, then my job is done. If someone listens to this and it doesn't appeal to them, but they know someone who appeals to, they might research the profession and like find someone in their area to talk to. Like, There's no reason. There's no reason we need to go through this stuff alone. So I could talk to you about it for hours too. It's like, it's so important to just keep the conversations going. If it touches one person now or later, when someone might listen to this recording years from now or months or days from now, like I feel accomplished and my purpose continues to be fueled and ignited and gives me energy to just keep doing it, to keep serving, to keep talking, to keep all of this going. Cause I want to be a part of normalizing these conversations by having them yeah. and not well, hiding from them. Yeah. Well, you are. I mean, I could wholeheartedly say that just having this conversation, having talked to you before, hearing your story, exchange, we just exchange emails, texts, phone calls, yeah. now Zoom calls and podcast chats. And yeah, I see it clearly and I appreciate it. I've gotten a lot out of our conversation today. So thank you. I know a lot of other people will. I know there's a lot in the works of things that we're even talking about. And these types of conversations are just that important. And so we're here to support people like yourself to you have that story, you have the words that can help so many and you have the ears that could help so many to allow them to speak. So thank you. And I really appreciate your time, Lisa. Where can people learn more about you where they can connect with you and ask you questions? I want to be fully accessible. So I want to say you can text me. You can there text you me, call me directly on my number. It's 415-254-0149. I know some of the athletes like the Instagram. So you can DM me there. Lisa Bontasumi. I'm easy to find. Those would be the top places. Yeah. Easy, accessible. I'm making a commitment that anybody who reaches out to me for whatever reason, whether it's I want to schedule a session or I want to talk to you on a podcast or I want to just pick your brain about what you do, I never say no. Yeah. I never. And that's my commitment. I never say no. It might not be in the timeline that you want to talk to me, but I will get you in my calendar. And that is very important to me. So anybody who's interested in furthering these conversations and finding resources in your area. If I'm not in your area, like I want to be there to do that. Yeah. Thank you again, Lisa. This has been great. And we'll continue to chat. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been my honor and privilege to be here. Thank you for inviting me and for this awesome conversation. I look forward to more. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.